Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 9, if you would. John chapter 9. This passage is a passage that has meant much to my family and I over the years. And it's one of those passages that is familiar to many. It is, of course, the story of the man born blind. But it is a passage that, while familiar, should certainly not be taken for granted. If you're like me, you'll, you'll read and study scripture, and then there are times when you'll read a passage that you have read many, many times over. And for some reason in that moment, perhaps it's a season of life, perhaps it is uh, what you're dealing with that particular day, the passage just jumps out at you. And it changes your perspective, because perspective is everything, is it not? And so we, as I was studying this passage one time and something my family and I were going through, this passage became very real and alive to us and it was a, it was a great comfort. And so I wanted to go there tonight. The Lord uh, led me back to this passage with a simple thought about perspective. Sometimes we don't see, a lot of times we don't see the entire picture, uh, but there is oftentimes a greater picture than we would understand. Uh, several years, many years ago when uh, was visiting a high school buddy of mine uh, during the summertime and uh, we I graduated in high school in Georgia and so I went back to visit him and uh, very very country area of Georgia and uh, we were out one night we went to the store and we went out to eat and did a couple other things and he said hey let's head back to the house real quick I got to pick up some things uh, check on some things for my parents his sister was home and he said hey as we pulled up near the house the, the drive he said hey would, do you want to play a trick on my sister I grew up with two sisters, uh, my oldest one is here tonight, and uh, we, we, we had a lot of fun together. I said, sure, that, this will be great, we'll, we'll play a trick on your sister. They lived out in the pretty deep woods in Georgia, and so he said, let's sneak in the back door and set ourselves up in the living room, and we'll, we'll make noises for her to come out, and then we'll scare her when she comes out. Now, in my mind, as a brother, I thought, this is perfect. This is, this is God ordained. This is the way it ought to be. You know, keep the sisters grounded and humbled. And so we snuck in the back door. He says, my parents never leave it, uh, never lock it. So we'll sneak in the back door and we'll find our way in. And so we did. And, and uh, we're, we're trying to be quiet. And I'm, I'm doing the belly crawl, which back then was, was not as painful as it would be now. And uh, we're, we're sneaking around. And he's behind the love seat. And I snuck around behind the couch. And and uh, he counted to three and he began to knock on the floor so, to make the sound. And his, his sister was in the back room and, and she, she opens the door and she comes out and she's on the phone and, and she says, hello? You know, that, that, that panic, that fearful little tone there. And, and we didn't say anything. I'm, of course, I'm giggling, you know, so I've got my hand over my mouth. But, but she goes back in the room and shuts the door and he waits a little bit and then he starts pounding on the floor kind of a little more uh, urgency to it. And she comes out and, and, and she's got this panic. And so she's coming a few feet away from her bedroom door. And, and uh, he said, he motioned at me. And he said, for the third time, we'll, we'll, we'll jump up and scare. And so she went back into her room. And I can tell from the, from the short distance there that she was telling somebody on the phone, there's weird noises coming from the house. And she's, you can tell on her voice, she's a little nervous. This is getting really good fun now at this point. So he knocked on the, the floor again and and she opened the door and she's real nervous and she's, she's carrying something from a room that wouldn't have affected anybody if that were in the house, but she felt comfortable with it and she's nervous. She comes into the middle of the living room and he counts, he uses his fingers, we count to three and I jump up and I scare her as loud as I possibly can. I've been told I'm loud and obnoxious so that worked out well. And I said, Rah! and as soon as I did, she cowered down, sunk to the floor and began to scream and weep and sob. And she's, she's a 19 year old 
young lady at this point. She's not a little child. And, she, and she's weeping. And I went over. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. What's wrong? And we, we, we get her. She's, she's terrified. We, we, he puts his arms around her. And she pushes him away, screaming. And I word this, like, this joke starting to maybe go wrong. I'm still enjoying it a little bit. But I wasn't sure what was happening here. And she finally calmed down. We turn all the lights on. And she's just her face is red from crying and, and we're sitting down we're explaining to her how much we, you know, we planned this out and we were excited about it we snuck in the door and she never heard a thing and and she's just trembling on the couch and, and this was crazy we finally said why was this such a problem she said you guys don't get it do you like, obviously not she said it's been on the news and she turned the tv on in that area of georgia there's a couple of prisons <laughs> And a couple of violent criminals had escaped from the prisons, I mean, within miles of this particular part of Georgia. She was on the phone with her friend that had a relative working in the prison system and had explained to her, lock the doors, be very careful. Some violent criminals had escaped and they were in your area. Us being clueless to this, we thought it'd be great to scare this poor little girl. And she sat on the couch, her brother's holding her after we've got her, finally got her calmed down. I almost felt bad and it was, it was, it wasn't my sister. And so we were, we were, we were just dealing with this and, and she looked at me and she goes, don't ever follow my brother's lead. And she looked at him and she said, how could you do that? And him and I talked later, we, we were staying at his place off, off, uh, away from that there. But we talked later and I we were on the way home a little bit quiet because we were shook up a little bit. And I looked at him and I said, man, we didn't see that coming. He says, yeah, I guess we should have had all the facts, huh? The whole perspective would have been different had we known exactly the information that she knew. We went into the situation, we went into the house trying to have fun and play a joke. But in reality, we were thinking something far short of what reality was. We didn't know all the circumstances and it affected our actions and our perspective. In this passage, we see a perspective of the disciples in verse number three, or sorry, verse number two, and disciples asked him saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They ask a question based on their perspective of what was getting ready to take place. Let's pick up in verse number one, and we'll read these next few verses. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We see in this passage that a perspective is, is ours because it's, it goes through all the filters that we have. But many times in the spiritual life, it is easy for us not to see as God sees. It is easy for us to look at our circumstances and to look at those things around us and the things that we are dealing with on a, perhaps a daily basis. Or uh, it feels like we've been in a long season of dealing with an issue. And it's easy to have a shortened perspective of what is entirely true. I want us to understand tonight, how do, we, how do we see as God sees? How do we develop spiritual eyes so that we can see the things that God sees? In this passage, as we get into it, we've just finished up chapter 8. 
And Christ uses the statement in verse number 5 of, of chapter 9 here, I am the light of the world. He used it previously in chapter 8 and verse number 12. In this discourse, he is revealing not only who he is and what he can do, and we also have to understand what does light do. It illuminates. It helps us see better. It helps us know what is before us and what is, what is where we've left. I, I think of Psalm chapter 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It reveals those things. Light illuminates spiritually who we are. Christ in chapter 8 is dealing with those that are spiritually blind. And here in chapter 9, he is now dealing with one who is physically blind. As we approach this chapter, we see that Christ is preparing to do something that will alter not only the life of this individual, but eternity for many. In a discourse on his deity and being the light of the world, Christ passes by the one who he can use to prove both. Seeing as God sees is about putting our faith in the who and not the what. It is always easiest to see the what of the circumstances, isn't it? It's always easy to look around us and to see the storm and all, all the things that are affecting us on a daily basis. But the closer we walk with God, the more we see the why. Or better yet, the who. Years ago, when I had the privilege to serve in ministry in Ohio, I was, one of the responsibilities I had was I was a Bible teacher in a Christian school. One late night, I had to go into the school to get a couple of things that I had forgotten. And I had our oldest son at the time was three years old, and he was with me. And uh, to, get, uh, to get to the area I needed to get to, we walked through the gym. Now, once you close the gym doors, everything was very, very dark. And our youngest, uh, our, our oldest at the time, he was not excited about the dark. We walked into the gym, and I'm in, I'm in a hurry. Of course, he's three, so his, he's not keeping up as much. He's a few feet behind me. Walked in the gym and I began to quickly walk to where I needed to go. And I noticed in the back of my mind that I no longer heard his footprint, his footsteps. He had paused after the gym doors had closed and now he was standing in a darkened room. I knew where I was going. I, I, I helped coach basketball there. I uh, walked through that gym every day on the way to classes. But for my son, he had not been in the darkened gym before. He'd been to the basketball games, but it's much easier to play basketball with lights on. And so he'd seen the gym in the light. As I, as I paused and realized he was concerned, I, I was going to go back and grab his hand, but I thought it'd be uh, a good time to, to help him understand some things. I, they, they call it bad parenting to play with your kid while they're in the dark. But, but uh, I said, hey, Seth, come on with me, buddy. And he goes, Daddy, where are you? He couldn't see me and he wasn't walking. He was stationary there. He was stuck because he was scared. And I said, bud, just, just follow the sound of my voice. See, at the, at the time where he was standing, at the, at the spot he was standing, all he could feel and see was the darkness around him and the fear that that produced. The circumstances were not conducive to him having a good time. And I still didn't hear him taking steps. I said, Seth, here's what I want you to do. I want, I'm only about five feet from him. I said, but I want you to take steps and walk to daddy. He, he said, okay. And I, I hear his little sneaker hit the floor. I said, keep coming, bud. That's one. Keep coming to me. And after a few moments, I could see enough in the dark. I, I reached out my hand and I, I grabbed his arm and I, he reached up and grabbed my hand tightly. <laughs> and he said, oh, there you are, Daddy. And we walked together at a rapid pace through the gym, out the other side of the gym doors into the classroom area to get our stuff. And it wasn't that the circumstances had suddenly changed. The, the fact was the gym was still dark. My son was still uncertain of the steps that he would take on his own. The difference was he got close enough to his 
father that he didn't have to worry about the circumstances. And spiritually speaking, it would be wise for us to no longer worry about the what of the circumstances. Although it is natural, it is part of our human nature to to fret at those things that come. But there is a father that we have that knows all the circumstances. He knows the storms. He knows the difficulties. He has a far greater perspective. And all he wants us to do is draw so close to him that we no longer pay attention to the what, but are focused on the who. Tonight, I would like to share a couple of thoughts of how we can see and change our perspective to see as God sees. Number one in this passage, would you look at it with me? We must first recognize our condition. You know, it just takes humility to recognize our condition, doesn't it? It's very easy for us to look at ourselves and to pay attention to all the things that we think we've accomplished. But the reality is we have a condition very much like this man born blind. We see some things about him. He, he was a, a man that was uh, dealing with great burden from birth. Not only did this man not have, has not been able to see light, he has never seen light. He not only has a, he doesn't even uh, have the ability to see, but neither does he have a memory of ever seeing light. And that was our condition when we were born. This man is also a beggar. He, he is sitting and he is hoping for help as people have passed by. He's not reaching out to anybody. He's not looking for somebody to, to uh, necessarily give him healing. He is just hopeless. He has no choice but to beg. We see our condition needs to be one of humility. There's nothing this man could glory in. He was a man born blind. We don't know where his family was, that they helped him on a daily basis. We don't know if his family assisted him in any way. But we know that this man's perspective was greatly limited because of his condition. And it would be good for us to approach the throne of God with the same humble, needy position that the beggar had, the blind man had. If we were only focused on our condition, we would certainly want relief. It doesn't mean that we go through life and we simply just uh, blow off everything that happens to us. No, we do enjoy relief. If you have uh, pains, if you've had seasons of sorrow, if you've had difficulties, you want that relief. And of course, we know that God brings that. But if only focused on our condition, we might miss the perspective that we ought to have. As we read this story, we would certainly cry out for the touch of God to heal this man's blindness. But perhaps his blindness was the touch of God. That was a hard statement for me to understand. We would look at blindness as, as a means of saying, oh boy, this, this person's gone through something difficult. They've had a, a hard season, but perhaps God on purpose, we know that to be true. The blindness was the touch of God. It wasn't that it was the perspective that he wanted as a human, but it was for a greater purpose. We don't know all that God has a purpose for us, but it is always good and it is always right. God's ways are above our own. If we cannot see those ways, the fault is not God's, it is ours. Too often, if we don't understand something that happens in life, we can easily blame God or complain to others about our condition. But this reveals our limited point of view. Seeing as God sees allows us to see there is more to the purpose than the immediate circumstances. I think of the disciples as they were on the, on the boat out in the sea and the storm came. They saw the storm. They saw the waves. We know Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. But again, when he saw the storm around him and it was uh, going crazy and he began to focus on the circumstances, he began to sink. God was teaching him a lesson that day of keeping his focus on the perspective that would be proper. We must recognize our condition without Christ. 
We have nothing in this life to glory in save Jesus Christ. Everything that good has happened in your life is not because of who you are, it's because of who he is. And that's a beautiful thought. To think that we don't have to worry about comparing ourselves one to another, although that is easy to do, and oftentimes that is what we do. We make ourselves feel better by looking at everybody else's spiritual condition. But the reality is, the standard is Christ. And knowing that we had nothing that we brought to him, and he is the one that has given us everything, that is a great change to perspective. How do we see as God sees? Number one, we must recognize our condition. Number two, we must respond to his word. Look what it says in verse number two. Of course, we read that already. The disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I, I tend to think that the disciples here kind of have this arrogant attitude in this question. Perhaps they, they got that deeper voice, that intellectual voice. And, and trying to sound spiritual, they said, Christ, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I love the thought of a person in the womb having sinned. That's an interesting concept. There was some pagan belief going around at the time that uh, thought that what happened in perhaps in a previous life would visit you in the next one. We know that to be uh, a very false belief there, but that was something that was prevalent. So perhaps they were mixing some of that in there. But regardless, I, I look at this and think, this is not for the disciples to know. It isn't something that they have any business knowing about someone's sin life. Perhaps they were just simply trying to understand as they're growing in ministry. Master, what was the result of this? Why did this happen? Why was this man born blind? Was it something his mom and dad had done? Was this the sins of the father being put upon the, the children? But as I read that verse, I get convicted by this thought of, is that my reaction? Is that my response to those that deal with suffering? Is my first reaction to cast a, a judgmental eye and to look at them as something less than, than myself? Would it be easy for me to focus on their difficulty and not pay attention at all to what God had done in my own life? But, but back to this record, responding to the word, we see that uh, Christ's response in verse number three, Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. The, the word manifest there means to be rendered apparent. In other words, Christ is saying this man didn't sin and his parents didn't sin. This was strictly done so that the works of God will be made obvious to everybody around him. You see, if we believe that God is good and God is always good and only good, then everything he does is always and only good. And it's important for us to be able to be used as a vessel for everybody else around us to see how good God is. Christ desires that he gets glory through this, that his, his, his father and, him, and, and, and he be known for the work that they are trying to accomplish, that they are doing. But as he goes through these verses, down to verse number six, when he had thus spoken, he said, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, go wash in the pool of Shalom, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came, saying... The word go in this verse number seven means to go away, to retire, to, to lead oneself under. In other words, Christ was telling this blind man, go in your old man and wash it away and come back in the new. You know, you think about this blind man going to, to obey this command. When he sees, when he gets done washing his eyes, he still has never seen the Savior. He's away. He, he's gone where Christ has told him to go. 
But he obeys because he had the faith to do so. But, you know, I find it interesting. He was being sent to wash off the old man and live in the new. Uh, I find it interesting that we would enjoy God being glorified in our life, but how many of us would be willing to let God do it the way that he wants to do it? How many of us would love for someone to spit on the ground and put spit and mud in our eye? Very few of us would sign up for that. But you see, this man recognized that there was nothing he was begging for, he was asking for. It wasn't like Bartimaeus who got in the way. This was just a man that Jesus was passing by. And he allowed for Jesus to be glorified by obeying the word. We must understand that God has a sovereignty over all of his creatures. And he has exclusive right in them. He can make us serviceable to his glory in such a way as he sees fit. If God is then glorified in and through us, our life and our present circumstances were not in vain. The hard part is our perspective. God, we say, God, I want you to be glorified in my life. I want you to be glorified in my family and in my ministry. But do we allow God to do what he deems necessary to get that glory? Oftentimes we try to put God in a box and say, this is what I want done. I want you to get glory for it, but if you do it my way, I know you'll get glory for it. Our perspective has to grow. It has to change. First, we enable to, enable to see as God sees, we must recognize our condition. Number two, we need to respond to his word as the blind man did. He, he went and obeyed and he came back seeing. But thirdly, I want to point out this simple truth to see as God sees, we need to remember his goodness. You ever just forget? College students are like, yeah, all the time. <laughs> I remember growing up and, and when, when kids forget, it's, it's, we just, we got to do a better job of remembering. When, when adults forget, it's just a slip of the mind. You ever notice that? How it changes, I guess, with age, you know. I, I remember there's a lot of things that I would forget. There's things I, I all the time, I, my wife will tell me, so Joy will say, Kent, put it in your calendar, put it on your phone, put it on something. And I'm like, oh, man, I got it here. We're good. And inevitably, I'm like, babe, I'm sorry. I forgot to get those things or do that thing and, and all that. But we, we laugh about the things in life that we can forget. But it, it's a sad thing when we do it spiritually. We need to remember the goodness of the Lord. Look at uh, verse number three again. We understand that the works of God will be made manifest. That was the purpose of this. Because God is good, his purposes are good. His, his getting glory is good. And if God is good, we must know that his timing is always good as well. Jesus passing by and seeing the blind man was not a meeting of coincidence, but rather a divinely appointed one. Our present circumstances are not to be complained about, but understood to be timely and right. We must remember that we are created for his glory. To think of it selfishly is to miss the entire purpose of our creation. We do not make God fit in our box or purpose, but rather strive to learn more of who he is and what he purposes inside of you and me. What would change in our lives and in our homes and in our, our, our church and our college here if we would see things as God sees things? If we would remember his goodness? Do you remember what it was like to go from darkness to light? Do you remember what it was like to be in your lost condition and to have a good and loving God reach out through his spirit and call you to himself? Do you remember what it was like to, to grow up, maybe perhaps you were saved later in life, not knowing who Jesus Christ was, but one day coming to that realization you needed him as a savior? 
Or have we become so accustomed to the Christian life that we've forgotten? We must be mindful of all that is good about God. And when we see situations in other people, when we see them going through burdens and heartaches, we must be very careful to t- not to take away from the goodness of God and put it on the, the sins of the people. Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary, we must be careful not to judge any as great sinners simply because they are great sufferers. We've got to be careful to, to cast a judging eye or uh, cast a look at somebody and say, boy, what did they do wrong? We need to help a brother or sister or part of the family of God recognize that there is a good God who does good things. And a situation, a burden like this man born blind is not to be uh, uh, hated and not to be uh, cast aside, but it is to be appreciated as God doing what will bring him glory. Psalm chapter 25 and verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Psalm 69, 16, Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Psalm 73, 1, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Psalm 86, 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Well, I'm thankful for that one. And plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. You think, well, you don't know the things I've done in my life. I don't have to. God has plenty of grace and plenty of mercy. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Psalm 106, 1. Praise you the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 107, 1, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. If we can keep reading, and we're going to, uh, we can say, well, this is just uh, repeating itself. It's God's inspired word. If God wants to bring glory to himself through his word, he's going to do it. Psalm 118, verses 1 and 29, it says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Uh, This is one of my favorite ones. Psalm 118, verse 68, thou art good and doest good. This is written by the psalmist here who understood all things through life. There was good, there was bad, but through it all, God's nature didn't change. God is always and only good. Psalm 136.1, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. If God is good, anything he says and does is also good. Tonight, perhaps there are some here that need to simply go back and remember the condition that we came from. Even even though we are saved, uh, those of us in this room that have put our faith and trust in Christ, we still must be careful to uh, think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. If it wasn't for the grace of God, where would we be? You see, we are nothing in and of ourselves. We must remember, recognize our condition, and remember the goodness of God to bring us out of that condition. Have we become so inwardly focused and forgotten who he is and what he has done? What grace he has bestowed to us. You know, a perspective we could have with somebody going through something is to realize that all the grace that's been given to us, we can certainly extend to others. We are so easily offended nowadays. And I'm not talking about society. That's that's plenty bad enough. But in our own body of Christ at times, we can be so easily offended because we don't live and walk in grace. When we see as God sees, we know his purpose is greater than ours. 
We can recognize that without difficulty in our life, he is way too kind to us. And even with heavy circumstances in our life, he is certainly not being unfair. He is a good God. Tonight, you may be here and you say, I don't, I'm going through something that it just seems unfair. It just seems too much. Perhaps you're looking at the circumstances and you're just unsure of what to make of it. Can I encourage you that there is comfort in the situation because of who God is? You may say, well, what's happening in my life, I just don't understand where it's come from. Please know that there is a greater purpose. And God wants us to see and trust him with the vision that he sees with. That his works will be made manifest. That he will become so rendered apparent that anybody around us would simply have to say, wow, there is a difference. A transformed life is a powerful testimony. The man born blind he later on says, they said, this isn't him. It looks like him, but this isn't the same guy. He goes, no, I am he. How do you think he, how do you think that sounded to his ears? No, I, it is me. I was the one born blind. I was the one in this condition for all these years, but I'm different now. I'm transformed. Later on, we know in, in verse number 25, they the, the religious leaders, they tried to challenge him and to corner him. And I love his testimony. He pretty much blows them off and says, look, whatever you want to say about him is up to you. All I know is this one thing. Once I was blind, and now I see. You see, the works of God were made manifest. They were made obvious to so many people. We don't hear much about the, the man born blind throughout the rest of the New Testament. But I can guarantee you this, he had a testimony. He allowed God to use the circumstances in his life to bring glory to himself and it impacted eternity for countless numbers of people. What is it that you're going through in your life? What is it that you're going through in your day to day and you think, boy, I'm carrying this burden and it's heavy and I'm discouraged. I, I have uh, people on, on, on property or people I work with on my job off property that are just frustrating to me. They discourage me and I don't understand why God has them in my life. Can I encourage you? Can I challenge you to just pause and say, God, help me to see them as you see them. Perhaps you're going through heartache and grief and sorrow through whatever season you've been through or going through right now. I can promise you this, God is good. And he will receive glory through your trial, through your tribulation, through your sorrow. And how much greater would it be for us to enjoy it because our perspective becomes what his perspective is. 